All right, today, um, if you've got a Bible, Colossians chapter 1, that's where we're going to start. This is week number two of the series called Rescued. Again, last week we talked about how Jesus is our rescue story. If you missed that, jump online, check it out, yourcentralchurch.com, or go to YouTube and just search Central Church of Carroll. All of our messages from like forever live there, so you you can see all of those. Um, Today, let, let me set today up like this. Um, all of us, every one of us here in this room and those that will be watching online, um, we all have a name, and our name is our identity. It's, it's what we're known by, right? Like our, 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 our name and our identity kind of hold hands. For instance, if you wanted to get my attention, what would you do? What, what would you do? If you wanted to get my attention, you would do what? You say, hey, Ryan, right? Hey, Ryan, Pastor Ryan, hey, Kool-Aid. Right? No, don't do that. Um, right? you, you would, that's what you would do. Um, we, we, we understand when somebody says our name that it's, it's, we, we need to act. We need to move. We need to do something. Last night, um, I was messing around with my dogs. I had seen this video a while ago, and actually we were going to use it possibly as one of our transition videos today. There's a video of a lady that's got a a bunch of dogs, and, and she, they're all sitting there patiently or impatiently, I don't know how dogs are, waiting for their name to be called, and it's kind of cool, they're, they're there. And so I, I did that to my dogs last night. Um, I got their food, and, and when you get their food, they run to the place where you're going to put down their bowl, and they just kind of sit and wait. But they were both sitting at the door last night, and so I thought it would be kind of funny to mess with them. And so I would just call their names. Their names are Izzy and Zeno. And so I would call Izzy, and Izzy would come running, and I'd tell her to go back. She'd go back and sit, and I'd call Zeno. And I, I just, kept, just kept messing with them, and they're drooling all over the place. And Mary had to clean it up, and it was awesome. I'm just kidding. You know I cleaned it up. Stop. Don't send me an email of me and my wife clean up the messes. All right, I, I get it. Um, but, it was, but it was pretty cool because we, we know that, right? If you want something from somebody, you say their name. If you need something from me, if you want to get my attention, you, you need to talk to me. You say, hey, Ryan. Hey, Pastor Ryan. And I look at you because my name and my identity kind of go hand in hand. That's the same thing for all of us. Now, here's the crazy thing. I get to pick my name. And, and neither did you. It was just kind of assigned to you at birth, right? In fact, most of us have never known anything but that name. Like, that's what we've been called our whole lives. I, I know that some of us have nicknames or, or whatever, but you were given a name at birth, and, and you have been called that your whole life. Even if you change your name. I know people who change their names, who have legally changed your na- their names. Maybe you have. Maybe you know some people like that. But even if you change your name, you can't change your identity, right? And, and there's a message in that that we'll probably get to um, at some time. But our name and our identity go, go hand in hand. I'm going to tell, tell you something about me that you might not know. Um, my first name, my real first name, my legal first name is Richard. Ryan is my middle name. Please don't call me Richard. I won't respond. That's, that's not, I don't go by that. Like Richard is a family name. And, and so because I was the, the firstborn son the first grandson, I got stuck with it. But from day one, my parents have called me Ryan. In fact, everyone in my family has always called me Ryan. From, from the instant that I was born, it's always been Ryan. I have never been Richard, except for when I'm in trouble. And then I got the two-name thing. You, you know what I'm talking about? Now, now, here's the thing. Here's the point. Again, I did not have a choice in picking my name. Parents, you know, if, if, you, have a, if you have a son 
You don't call your son boy until they're 10 years old and then let them get on Google and pick out their own name, right? If you have a daughter, you don't call her girl until she's 15 and then give her a book of baby names and tell her to pick one. That, that would be weird. You're given a name. When we are born, we're giving, given a name, and our name and our identity throughout our lives kind of go hand in hand. Now, for most of us, we're given um, a name that has some kind of meaning, some kind of symbolism behind it. Like the name Richard means ruler. The name Ryan means little king. Um, there's, there's sometimes some family significance into it. But most all of our names have some sort of meaning. The same thing is true in the Bible. Names in the Bible, though, really, 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 really meant something. Like names in the Bible were more than just, hey, Bob, Joe, Steve, Ryan, Richard, Sally, Susie. Like, like they had serious identification. Like, like their names meant something. When you said their name, like you just understood, like that's, that's who they were. Like that's how they were identified. And it's fascinating to me. As you look at the Bible, you see people's names, the amount of times that God changes people's names. In fact, that's what we're talking about today. I told you last week that we would use Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 as a launching pad for all of these rescued messages. So let's look at that again. The Bible says, for he, talking about God, for he has rescued us. And we talked about that last week. He's rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred. Everybody say that word transferred, transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. He transferred us. That's, that's gigantic. That's huge because he didn't just transfer our names. He transfers our identity, that who we are in Christ has value. It's important. It's great, big, huge. The reason that's important and the reason we understand that is that there could be some people here in this room, you've allowed yourself to be called a name or names that God never gave you. Like, go, go back to, to like what I said earlier. All of us have names, like Ryan means little king or, or, or whatever. Some people, your name means this, or your name means that, or your name means this. And, and, and we don't really hold a whole lot of stock into what our names mean. The other names, though, the names that people call us or label us with, man, those names... We know exactly what they mean. We know exactly what they're saying when they call us that. There's no question. There's no doubt. Hey, you're this, and we hold on to that. But at the end of the day, I want you to listen to me, church. The only one, the only one, the only one who has the right to establish our identity is the one who is willing to bleed and die for us in the first place. So with that in mind, I want us to look at some people in the Bible who God changed their names. And again, when he changed their names, he changes their whole identity. And what's funny is that we have a lot in common with these people. All right, there's a lot of people. We're only going to look at three today. The first guy that we're going to talk about is a guy named Abram. Now, Abram, if you're a Bible person, you automatically say, oh, that's Abraham. Not, not when we first meet him, he's not. When we first meet him, his name is just simply Abram. Now, Abram, the, the name means father of height or exalted father. That's what it means. It can mean either one of those two things, father of height or exalted father. So don't miss this. All of his life, he thought, like his name, Abram's name, is father of height or exalted father. So all of his life, he thought he was going to be a? All right, come on, this is an easy question. All right, all of his life, he thought he was going to be a? 
All right, there we go. Good, you're paying attention. This is great. Got to be audience participation today. You got to help out. All his life, he thinks he's going to be a father. But when we meet him for the first time, he's around 80 or 90 years old. Now, there are not a lot of 80 or 90-year-old men looking to be a father, yes or no? There are not... A lot of, no, right? Come on. Grandfather, great-grandfather, like maybe, but, but not father. So you got Abram, whose whole life he's been told, you're going to be a father. His whole life he's been, he's been called father of height or exalted father. In ancient Bible times, it was really, 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 really important for men to be able to have kids, especially sons. And so his entire life, he thinks, I am exalted father. Like, that's, that's who I am. And so I'm going to be a father, and I'm going to have a son, and I'm going to have a son, and I'm going to have a son, and I'm going to have a son. He's thinking that his entire life. And right now, he's 80 to 90 years old. Do you think right here, when we first meet him, he thought it was too late, yes or no? Yes. We can accurately say, according to his name, Abram was a man who wasn't really living up to his potential. Now, all of us have experienced stuff that just, that just didn't live up to its potential, like just didn't, didn't live up to the hype. Like, like you get this if you've ever taken your kid to Disney. But listen, Disney is great. Disney is awesome. I love Disney. But your first time there with your kid, it's not magical. You need therapy after the first time, right? Because they show you the commercials, and in the commercial, oh, there's Mickey, and you're hugging, and everybody's smiling, and you're on Main Street, USA, and nobody's there, and Tinkerbell is flying around the castle, and there's fireworks, and you think, this is the greatest, happiest place in the world. Four hours in, you're ready to shoot Mickey. You'll punch Pluto in the throat. You're ready. I mean, no, Chloe, you cannot have the $187 bedazzled mouse ears because we have to send you to college. Still in therapy for this, by the way. <laughs> At the end of the day, <laughs> seriously, let you know a little secret. The only thing magical about that place is how fast money disappears out of your wallet, right? <laughs> It does not live up to the expectations. All of us have probably had that type of experience in life where something didn't live up to our expectations. And Abram had lived that out as well, hadn't quite himself lived up to expectations. How are you doing in that area? Don't, don't answer that out loud. But how are you doing in that area? Because I'm going to tell you, just to be honest with you, if you were to ask me 20 years ago, hey, Ryan, what's your life going to look like in 20 years? I, I wouldn't have drawn this picture. I, I wouldn't have picked this path. No, no, I love what I do. I absolutely love, like, all of it. But this isn't necessarily the path that Ryan would have chose for Ryan. And, and there are several of you in here, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're in a place in life that maybe you never thought you would be. You're not maybe living up to expectations. But, see, that's, that's where God gets involved. That's the, the cool thing about God. We say all the time around here, if you're not dead, God's not if you're not dead, God's not done, right? Because anytime he gets involved, things always change for the better, always. Look at this, Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, stop. I don't know anything 
about being 99 years old. No, like nothing. Are there any 99-year-old men here in, in right now? None? None, right? I, like I don't even know any 99-year-old men. But I can assure you, at 99, there is not a man around that is thinking about being a father, okay? I don't care how many of those little blue pills you pop. You're not thinking about being a daddy. <laughs> if you see a 99-year-old man and a 90-year-old, his, his wife is 90 years old at the time. If you see a 99-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman walking into the hospital, you're thinking, oh, they're the great-grandparents, maybe the great-great-grandparents, I'm not sure. But, but as far as them becoming parents, like, like you're, you're thinking, oh, no, it, there's no way. Like, it's absolutely too late. Here's the point. Maybe you think it's too late for God to, to work or God to move on your behalf. And right here, the Bible shows us that there is a man that is 99 years old who hasn't had a kid yet, and God shows up and God moves. W watch this. God appears to him and says, The Lord Almighty appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. D don't miss that. that. That's huge. We should do an entire series on the names of God and how when God shows up and God identifies himself, he, he, just, he just lets us know, like, hey, I am I am the one who's going to take control of the situation. I'm the one in control. I'm the one that could do anything. I am God Almighty. I've got it covered. He, he goes on to say this, serve me faithfully, live a blameless life, and I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee. Now, now when God guarantees something, that's a big deal, yes or no? Yes, absolutely. I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. Like, dude just wanted a son. And God says, I will give you countless descendants. See, God's plans are way bigger than our plans. One of the reasons I would tell you to give your life to Jesus is because his plans are always bigger than our plans. His plans for our life, his plan for your life, his plan for my life, blow our plans for our lives out of the water. Watch this, it gets way better. Verse three, at this, Abram fell face down, because that's what you do when God shows up, fall face down. Face down on the ground. Then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of, what's that word say? What's it say? Nations. Dude. God. I'm, I'm 99. She's 90. No, 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 no. no. We, we don't even have a son. God, you're talking about nations? Nations. Like, we, we're, we're old. We're wore out. Like, there's nothing left there's nothing significant that can happen in our lives. We can't do anything, and you're talking about nations. God, how is that going to happen? Verse 5, what's more, I am changing your name. This is where it gets real. It will no longer be Abram. It will no longer be exalted father or father of height because that just, that, just, that just indicates like maybe one kid. He says, you will be called Abraham. Abraham literally means father of many nations. So right here, God is saying, hey, I'm not just changing your name. I'm changing your whole identity. I'm taking who you thought that you were, and, and, and I'm, allowing, I'm stepping you into who I called and created you to be. You've always thought you didn't measure up, but the reason you thought you didn't measure up is because you were measuring yourself by the wrong standard. If you'll step out of the world standard, step into my standard, you will understand that you have measured up this entire time, Abraham, father of many nations. He goes on to say, for you will be the father of many nations, is that word again, I will make you extremely fruitful, which that's helpful if you're going to be the father of many nations, 
Your descendants will become many nations. Is, is God trying to get something across here? He keeps saying one word over and over and over again. What is it? Nations, right? I'll make you the father. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. Abraham, who is 99 years old, had probably given up on himself. He probably thought that everybody around him had given up on him. And he is right. People probably had given up on him, but God, God shows up, and God moved, and God gets involved, and promised him he would be the father of many nations. Even though he couldn't see it happen in the moment, it happened. And today, all over the world, every descendant of these nations can trace themselves back to Abraham. Abraham couldn't see that, but here we are. Several thousands of years later, looking at geography to prove what God said is true. And hey, don't miss this. If he did it for Abram, he can do it for you. Not living up to your expectations, not meeting the expectations of, of what other people are saying, not, 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 not stepping into your next step, maybe necessarily knowing and doing what, what God has called and created you to do. It's okay. God still has time. God Still has time. So Abram to Abraham. The second name is the name Jacob. The second guy we're going to talk about is Jacob. J- Jacob had a, had a messed up start to life. It started at childbirth. His childbirth was jacked up. I, I, don't, know, I don't know if you've ever met a woman. Like every, All of us have met women. I get that. That's probably not the right way to say that. Um, you ever met a woman who will tell you, like, childbirth is the most beautiful thing in the world. You ever heard that? Childbirth is the most beautiful thing in the world. That's because you were on drugs, sweetheart. Like, that's why. That, that, that's why you think that. Listen to me. Listen, listen, listen. Don't miss this. Listen. Everybody look up here. If you don't hear anything else I say today, hear this. Childbirth is not beautiful. It's not. The miracle of childbirth is beautiful. But childbirth itself, I, I remember in junior high, they showed us the sex ed film with, with childbirth, with the childbirth scene. And everybody was freaked out. I wasn't freaked out because my entire life I had heard my aunts talk about childbirth and how childbirth is beautiful. And so I'm telling all of my friends, hey, it's cool, don't worry, childbirth is beautiful. But we're going to see this video and our parents said, it's okay, man, childbirth is beautiful. Like we're excited about this. We should be, this should be awesome. And they're showing the video and people are covering their eyes. And I'm like, hey, don't cover your eyes. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be beautiful. Look at this. <gasps> like it still makes me want to throw up. I am to this day scarred by that video. And so I don't want to be the only one. And so I got a clip of what they showed me in junior high. Check this out. No, I'm just kidding. I don't have that. <laughs> Even I have boundaries, okay? I do. I know you don't think that I do, but I, but I have some. I just want to make sure that you're paying attention. <laughs> Jacob's childbirth, man, it was jacked up. Because, well, it's got to go back a little bit. He was a twin. His older brother's name was Esau. And the Bible says that when Esau, Esau came out first, as Esau was coming out of his mother's womb, that Jacob grabbed onto his heel and tried to pull him out so he could fight and get, and get out first. So the name Jacob literally means to grasp the heel or deceiver. And it's usually mostly translated deceiver. So Jacob grew up being known as deceiver. So think about this. If you're called deceiver, 
your entire life, like if that's all you're, you're known as, like you're known as deceiver, what do you think you're going to turn out to be? Deceiver, right? Hey, come here, deceiver. Go to lunch, deceiver. Deceiver, get your butt to dinner. Come on, deceiver, let's go see a movie. Come here, deceiver, deceiver, come here, come here, come here, come here. All you are is a little deceiver. He's called deceiver his whole life. And so his whole life, he's deceiving and he's fighting. He's deceiving and he's fighting. He's fighting and he's deceiving. He, he deceives his brother out of his birthright. He deceives him out of his blessing. At one point, he has to go and he has to fight for his wives from his uncle. I mean, it's messed up, the whole thing. He's always fighting to deceiving, fighting to deceiving, fighting to deceiving, so much so that it gets to the place where Jacob actually fights with God. Like he actually gets into a literal wrestling match with God. And there's a whole story behind that. I'm not going to get into it today. You can go, you can go read about it in Genesis uh, 31, 32. But in Genesis chapter 32, this wrestling match is taking place. And look what happens in verse 27. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. In other words, he says, deceiver. So I am. I'm deceiver. So I've been my whole life. It's how people identify me. It's what people call me. It's just who I am. It's just what I do. I wonder if there's anybody here that that's the excuse you give yourself as to the way that, the way that you are. It's just who I am. It's just what people have been calling me my whole life. Like, this, is, this is all I've ever known. It's just the way that I am. It's just the, it's the way my daddy was, the way my grandpa was. This is the way my family is. This is just who I am. And this is how people talk about me. This is what people say about me. And so this might as well be just what I do because this is what people think. This is how people identify me. And listen. I know what it's like to feel like that, to feel that way. You feel helpless. You feel worthless. You feel like there's no way that anything significant in your life can change. And you know what? You're right. You're right. Nothing, nothing in your life can change unless Jesus gets involved. That, that's where change takes place and purpose comes alive. When Jesus gets involved in our lives, because he goes on to tell him, your name will no longer be Jacob. He says, I'm changing your name. And I'm not just changing your name. I'm changing your identity. And watch how he does it. The man um, changing your name will no longer be Jacob. The man told him, from now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Right here in, in the Bible, in this, this part right here, the name Israel means God shall fight. So, so his name went from deceiver to God shall fight. And I'd be willing to bet that there's some of you at some point, at some point in your life, God has fought for you. Because if God had not fought for you, you wouldn't have survived the storm. If God wouldn't have fought for you, you would have been devoured in the lion's den. If God wouldn't have fought for you, you would have been slayed by the giant. But at the end of the day, you have a God who has been fighting for you. We serve a God who is constantly fighting for us. For me, as I, as I look at the the faithfulness of God in my life. And I see all the times that God has been fighting for me in my past. It allows me to face the future with confidence because I know that the God that was with me here is going to be the God that is with me over here because God always comes through. God always, always, always comes through. Amen? All right, so Abram has changed to Abraham. Jacob has changed to Israel. The last person that we'll talk about today, his name is Simon. And Simon means he has heard. 
Now, l- l- let me set it up like this. There are some things that all of us have heard about, but we haven't actually seen. Like, like Alaska. I've heard of Alaska, but I've never been. Anybody been to Alaska? Anybody been there? I've heard that it's beautiful. I've heard that it's absolutely awesome. Like they have these Alaskan whale watching tours. I think that would be cool. Like I want to go on an Alaskan cruise someday. Like that's a legit bucket list item um, for Ryan and Mary. Like that's one of the things we talk about all the time. Like we want to go, we want to go do that. Because I think that would be cool. I've heard about Alaska. I believe in Alaska. I know Alaska exists, but I've never been there. I've heard about these bungalows down in Tahiti. You heard about these? Don't those look sweet? I was legit interested in going to these one time. Like Mary and I were sitting around, and they're like, hey, man, let's just, let's just do it. Let's just pull the trigger, and let's just go. Let's just go spend a few days down in Tahiti. We talk about it all the time, use it as sermon illustrations. It'd be cool. Let's go. I started looking. The ones that we were looking at were $5,000 a day, a day. I'm like, I don't need to go. I got Swan Lake. We <laughs> Take a tent, pitch it out there, Mary. Like, let's just go do that. Those would be cool, though, wouldn't they? Remember, it's Pastor Appreciation Month. Anyway, <laughs> here's where I'm going with this. As, as, we, as we think about Simon and his name being he has heard, Simon, this is what's crazy about Simon. I told you last week that he lived in a village on the Sea of Galilee called Capernaum. Capernaum is a small fishing town and and he had just he fished for a living and I told you last week like that's probably all he thought he would ever do like was was fish like like he had he had heard about the goodness and the greatness of God like his whole life I, I, I would I would contend that at some point he had heard about this man named Jesus that was walking around and, and he probably wondered like hey God if you're so big and you're so powerful and you're so awesome then why is this my life Why is this the life I'm having to live? Why am I having to do this? There's a thousand other things that I could be doing. And if you know the history of Jewish kids and how they went through school and and they wanted wanted to be like teachers of the law, religious leaders, they they went through. And those who who weren't good enough, they went back to doing what their dad used to do. And so I'm sure at that point in his life, he's like, this sucks. I don't want to be doing this. Like I've heard of God, but I've never experienced God. And God, I would love to have that experience. And, and this, this is kind of like, for me, just, just to kind of tell you where I'm going with this, and the, the, the main reason I'm making this point is, for me, like all of us have heard about the goodness and the greatness and the provision of God, and, and we teach about it here all the time. And, I, and I, don't, I don't have a problem believing that. And I don't have a problem believing in the grace and the love and the mercy and forgiveness of God for you but I have a hard time believing it for me. Anybody else? Anybody else want to be honest? Like seriously, because we're really good at, at giving the, the grace and the love and the mercy to other people, but, it, but it's really hard, it's really difficult for us to extend that grace and love and mercy and forgiveness to ourselves. It's, it's something we've heard about, something we've, we've maybe seen from a distance, but the love and the grace and the mercy how difficult is that to give to ourselves? How, how difficult is it to, to forgive ourselves? But see, Simon, he's going through all of this stuff, and he meets Jesus, and everything changes, because that's when change takes place is when we meet Jesus. 
Andrew brings him to Jesus, and John writes in John 1, verse 42, Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus, looking intently at Simon. Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which translated means Peter, on the rock. Now, we know that this transition didn't happen overnight. We know about the life of Peter. We know all the stuff that Peter had gone through, and we know, we, we know everything about Peter. We know ultimately Peter's redemption. We know all of that. See, when, when we meet Jesus... We begin a journey into walking in the grace of God. Peter is a walking example of that grace, of the grace of God. Because how many times can you fall down and get back up? M- more than Peter? I mean, didn't it seem like Peter had a gift of sticking his foot in his mouth and always messing up? Because that's Peter's life. We could do an entire series called The Mess-Ups of Peter, and it could probably take us like the majority of a year just talking about how bad Peter messed up. Peter falls down, and Peter does this, and Peter says this, and Peter and this happens, and Paul yells at Peter, and all this stuff, and all these things are just absolutely crazy. But at the end of the day, the guy that messed up the most is the guy who is recognized as the figurehead that spearheaded this movement called the local church, which today is a global movement, all because he had his identity changed by a man named Jesus. So at the end of the day, my hope and my prayer for all of us today is that we would understand whatever tags, whatever labels, whatever names people have put on us, listen, here's the bad news. They're not going away. They're they're not. They're, They're going to be there. They're not. People are going to be idiots. People are going to continue to call us things and say things about us. But, but just like we sang in that communion song, we need to learn how to say, I am who you, Jesus. I am who you say I am. We need to learn how to say, Jesus, I know what they say I am. I know what he said I am. I know what she said I am. But I'm going to focus on who you say I am. Because you're the only one, Jesus. You're the only one. Don't miss this, church. Jesus is the only one, the only one, the only one, the only one who gets to establish our identity. Jesus, you're the only one, the only one who can establish my identity. I am who you say I am. When we can get to that place in our walk, church, where we can confidently say, I am who you say I am, that's when we can actually begin to walk in the freedom and the victory that Jesus Christ promised us. Now, let me real quickly give you three names that a lot of us have associated ourselves with. Now, this is not other people. Like, this is what we say to us about us. The first one is unloved. Unloved. Because let's just, let's just legit, let's, let's take a second and be honest. Some people are hard to love, Right? Right? I mean, are some people hard to love? Like, I wish I could tell you that I love everybody. I wish I could be like, oh, I'm a pastor, and so I just love every. You, you ever met somebody that loves everybody? Oh, I just love everybody. No, you don't. Shut up. Stop lying. No, you don't. Nobody loves everybody. There's somebody on this planet that gets on your nerves. Don't point. Don't point. But there's somebody on this planet that gets on your, because some people are hard to love, right? Some people, yes or no, are hard to love. All right, we are all in agreement with that. Some of you are the people. I just love everybody. I'm so happy to be at church today. Welcome, Jesus. Glad to have you. Listen, sometimes, like be honest here, sometimes when you look in the mirror, isn't it hard to love that person that you see? Isn't it? You know why it is? It's because of those labels. Because you didn't see the divorce coming. You didn't see the job loss coming. 
You didn't see the sickness coming. You didn't see the depression coming, but it showed up. And when it showed up and other people didn't show up, you felt unloved. And I get it. I understand. But just because you have felt unloved by other people doesn't mean that you are not loved by God because God's love is unconditional. I can tell you without a doubt, not even knowing you, not even knowing your story, God loves you right now just as you are unconditionally. If nothing ever changed in your life, God's love for you stays the same. The reason I can say that is because Paul writes this, Romans Chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, he says this, I am convinced, like I'm convinced, like I'm certain of this. Like there is no doubt in my mind, Paul says, I am convinced that nothing, nothing can ever separate us from God's love. That's a strong statement, yes or no? Yes, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. And then he goes on and he gives us a whole list of things, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, Neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. At the end of the day, they may say that you're not loved, but God says right now, as you are, you are loved unconditionally by the creator of the universe. Loved, not unloved. Beloved. So these are the second name that we call ourselves as weak. We see ourselves as weak because we, we compare ourselves to other people. We think that other people are so strong and we're just so weak. Like, like, like l- listen to me. Some of you in this room right now, you are so strong. Like, you, you, are, you are so, so strong because of what you've been through. But you compare yourself to somebody else and you think that you're weak. You are not weak. You are not. But you think that somebody else is, oh, they're so strong because they're serving or they're preaching or they're singing or they're doing this or they're doing that or they have this or they have that. And, and because of that, you think that you are so weak. But you're not. Or, or, or we think we're weak because we compare ourselves to a former view of ourselves. I used to be this, but now I'm this. I used to be able to do that, but now I can't do this anymore. I, I used to be able to go here, and I can't go here. And we let the world tell us that the reason we are the way that we are is because we're weak. But see, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're in Christ, you're not weak. You're stronger than you think. In fact, John tells us of 1 John 4, 4, it says, But you belong to God, my dear children, you have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. You can call a follower of Jesus Christ anything you want to call him, but you can't call him unloved. You can't call him weak. The last thing that many of us label ourselves or we let other people label us, and I, and I get this, is listen, because I've fallen short. I, I've fallen short in all of these categories. I have. Is, is we tell somebody you fall short or you don't belong. Now, I, I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you felt like, man, I don't belong here. Like, I don't know why they call me. I don't know why they want me here. Like, I just do not belong here. I, I remember the first time, first time I had to preach um, in front of other pastors. 
Um, getting up and preaching is one thing. It's fine. Like it's, you know, I, I still get nervous. Um, even when I do this multiple times on a Sunday, every time before I get up here, I'm nervous. And it's just kind of one of those things that I, I kind of go through. But the very first time I had to, to preach in front of other pastors, like I literally threw up in the bathroom before going on stage. Um, I was speaking in front of people that I admired, people that I had listened to on the radio, and, and I, I felt like the biggest idiot in the room. As a matter of fact, that was confirmed because I came out and I told this like cheesy pastor joke to get started and I walked off the stage and this guy said, hey man, don't, don't ever tell that joke again. And I probably told it like 75 times here. You're like, what is it? I'm not telling it. Anyway, um, that, that's happened to me like a few times since where I've, I've, I've had to go to like pastor's conferences and things like that and I've gotten the opportunity to get up and, and speak and it, it never gets easier for me because I always feel like I'm the biggest idiot in the room. But, but have you ever felt like that somewhere? Have you ever felt like you don't, you don't belong? You ever felt like that? You ever felt like that when it comes to church or Christianity? Or you feel like you just fall short? Let me give you a, a little newsflash. Everybody on the planet falls short. In fact, the Bible says we all fall short of the glory of God. It's just certain people are better at hiding it than other people. But, but, but you and me, we can identify with that, right? Like we have felt like at times we don't belong. And because of that, our tendency is to walk away. I don't, I don't want to go there anymore. I don't want to be a part of that. I don't, want to, I don't want to do that. Because we feel like, because other people have turned their back on us, that God's going to do the same thing. The other people have left us. Other people have walked away. Other people have called us this. Other people have told us we have fallen short. And so they've ran out of our lives, and God's going to do the same. But Jesus says that's not true. Jesus says, you belong. Jesus says that every single one of us belong. In fact, this is the invitation he gives to all of us, and this is so beautiful. He says this, Matthew 11, verse 28, Come to me, all who are weary, and carry heavy burdens. I wonder how many of us in the room today feel like that. Come to me, all who are weary, and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. He says if we come to him, he will give us rest. Take my yoke, which is basically take my teaching upon you. He's saying, let me teach you. Let me teach you because I am humble, gentle at heart. You will find rest. There's that word again. you find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. See, I don't, I don't know what the world says about you, but God says you are loved, you are strong, and you belong. That's what he says. He says you are loved, you are strong, and you belong. And my prayer for us today, even over these next several moments, is that we can focus on that. And, and we, can, we can focus not on who they say that we are. We can take the tags and the labels and we can just rip them up and we can just shred them. And we can focus on who Jesus says that we are. And we can focus on the fact that he, he really has transferred our identity. He's rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into an abundant life. 